audio. Welcome to Doc Talk, a weekly podcast featuring Monument Health physicians addressing medical topics. Tune into your health with Monument Health. Hello again, and welcome to another edition of Doc Talk with Monument Health. My name is Mark Houston, and joining me today is Dr. Patrick Woodard, who is a board-certified internal medicine physician and is the chief healthcare information officer for Monument Health. Uh, welcome to the show, doctor. It's good to have you on here. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. Now, you're one of the first doctors I've had recently that's not 100% local. Matter of fact, you're pretty new to the area. That's true. I came in January. I've been here for... Uh, well, the long winter, and now getting into a very delightful, albeit smoky summer. Yes. You, well, you came up from Tennessee, correct? So this is all relatively, the, the winter was new to you. That's sort of true. I was in Tennessee for a couple of years. Prior to that, I grew up in the Reno, Nevada area. So I had a fair amount of snow close to oh, Lake yeah. Tahoe, did a lot of ski in there. So I'm, we're glad to be back in the West, some hills and some mountains, some, you know, <laughs> something that you can look at that's not a hike just from this tree to that tree. Well, where, what part of Tennessee did you come from then when you were there? We were in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's not super hilly, is it? It's not. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not so, at all. So uh, what, what brought you up here then? Uh, really the opportunity. Um, I had known a couple folks from the area who really spoke highly of Monument Health. And when the um, position came open, we were really looking to get back more into the West for lifestyle reasons and for, you know, just the quality of life that you can get living someplace where you can see the sky and it's not full of humidity all the time and you feel like you can get outside, be active. And um, Monument Health as an employer is a really uh, phenomenal group. It's a, a great health system for the region, which appealed to me just as a, as a provider and as somebody who will want health care at some point, too. Sure. That's always nice. So to be able to believe in the mission and that the organization has is really important. Being able to have that nice life work blend that living in the hills has afforded us just over the last five months has been fantastic. Oh, so excellent. we're really happy to be here. And it was all of those things kind of put together. Well, now it says that you, well, we know you're a doctor of, of internal medicine, but uh, your position here at Monument Health is the uh, chief health care information officer. I don't think a lot of people listening to this podcast would really understand what that is. So can you kind of give me a background of what that is? Absolutely. And to be honest, I feel like some days I don't know what that is either. <laughs> um, there's a, every day is a new learning experience. The nice thing about healthcare is that it's so complex that you get to learn something new every day. The challenge with that is that you have to learn something new every day. The technology component of it that underpins everything that we do is really in the purview of the chief healthcare information mm -hmm. officer. The idea that if you go flip on a light switch, the lights come on. If a physician walks into the doctor's office and turns on a computer, everything that's behind that needs to work too. So that's all within the purview of the chief healthcare information officer, making sure that the tools work, that you're able to access the systems when you need to, that it really is not detracting from that physician-patient relationship and really being part of the information systems that exist behind the scenes that allow us to communicate and to share records and to be able to keep track of 
um, health information, um, whether that be a lab result or a pathology result or tests or those kind of things, that, that those all have to live there and be something that's accessible to a doctor, um, but isn't something that should be hindering the ability from, for that clinician to be able to have that relationship with you when you walk into the clinic. So do you have, do you have, a, do you have a, a kind of a technological background, too, a little bit, doctor? Um, a little I mean, bit, yeah. I had it prior to coming onto the health system side of, of things. I had a, a healthcare startup. I had been I had been a hacker as a kid, so I got myself. I somehow managed not to get into trouble, but really only by <laughs> sheer luck. A good VPN is that what it was? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this was before VPN. Oh wow! So, um, it, it was always an interest of mine, and so uh, we had a really poor outcome when I was in residency, um, kind of that training period between medical school and becoming a full uh, doctor, where we had a, a bad patient outcome that I realized technology could prevent that from happening mm. again. Uh, when I trained, we were on paper, so there are a lot of opportunities to do things a little bit better when you're on paper. Um, and one of those was uh, just the handoff between teams, between physician teams. Um, whether that be the night team, which was the, in this particular case what happened, uh, or between whether that be a primary care or cardiology, that kind of thing. So I wrote some software that enabled that to happen in a much more secure fashion where you couldn't get lost in the system, where your your data was able to flow securely between providers, and they were able to kind of get that whole history. Um, and that's kind of how I got my entry into the world of healthcare IT. So you have obviously seen changes in medicine that have been staggering in some instances probably haven't you since you've started in a very short period of time yeah really. right yeah. uh what are uh what are some of the the, the ones that make you most excited when you see them or you that, know, have, that are around now i think one of the ones that has been the most empowering for people in general has been that move to allow patients to have access to their records and their labs in near real time. I know there have been plenty of instances in which a patient might have gotten a result before their doctor did, and that can create a lot of stress, frankly. <laughs> but it's also nice to think that if I went to the lab and I got, and maybe I'm just getting a cholesterol check, I don't have to wait until two, three days later when the doc finally has time to give me a call to tell me that my cholesterol is 150. I can just know that. And, you know, there are so many stressful things that happen in medicine. Mo they can be from just a new diagnosis of diabetes, or maybe you're having a baby, which is really exciting, or maybe you're getting a cancer diagnosis. All of that's very personal. And it is, I think the thing that's exciting to me about making sure that those results are available to patients is because you as a person deserve to be able to have that as your own data, as something that I'm able to really work through mm -hmm. and think about on my own and then with the guidance of my clinician to to understand how that fits into the broader health picture that I have. It's uh, it's I've had this conversation with, you know, anybody that'll listen uh, going into just like you said, get blood work done before you're going to get your yearly physical. You go in, you give the blood. I go back out into the waiting room and within a three to seven minute window. It pops up on my app on my phone. And that, like you said, was first a little startling because you're like, well, I, I, I don't understand what this. this. Well, yeah, yeah. What, is, what does any of this have? But then once you start to go through it and uh, with the Monument Health app, with the, uh, it's the MyChart app, yeah. I believe yeah. is what it's called. Um, what I love about it is, especially on the blood work, it gives you that yellow and green. So you know exactly where you fall within the parameters of what should be 
fine. And it, and it can be a relief, which is really nice to have right there in the palm of your hand. So do you see this? I mean, obviously, this is going to expand uh, to include even more, isn't it? Uh, are these apps constantly going to be improving in this area? Absolutely. I think all day, every day, there will be improvements. We may not see them all as they come out, but over a period of time, we'll see improvements just mm-hmm. in the way that we interact with our doctor, with our health system, with our hospital. Um, there, the availability of data from just my chart will continue to improve, and then the other things that you can do with it outside of my chart will will get phenomenally better. There's some regulation that's going through right now that'll uh, unlock even more data and the ability for that to be truly portable, for you to take it into your own health apps if you want mm-hmm. to do that, um, to coordinate it with fitness and those kind of things to really unlock a, a lot more uh, just usability in terms of that data, and then. As an owner of my own data, what do I want to do with that later? I think the answer depends for everybody is a little bit different. Maybe it's I don't want to do anything with it. I don't want anybody to have it, and that's perfectly fine. Or it could be that I want to use that with uh, a therapist that Mm -hmm. maybe isn't coordinated at all, and I want to share that. I want to have it on my own applications and, and really interface those things in a way that makes sense for me in the way that I want to do it. So it, it will continue to improve. More things will become interoperable and, and interfaceable, and it will really, I think, unlock a new era of what we can do just because we're unlocking things all the time. Do you work pretty closely with some of these bigger tech companies, too? I know, you know, if you have an, uh, an, an iWatch or if you have an iPhone, you know, I know that they're getting really big into a lot of that medical technology. To, do you guys work with, with integrating that, like you've said, so the MyChart could work with the, the health app that's on your phone uh, from some of these bigger companies? We do, and in fact, it should. Right now, you can, you can download that into your own um, mm-hmm. Apple Health application today. Um, and we have convers- I have conversations probably once or twice a month with a bunch of different of these, the ones that you see in the news all the time, Apple, Microsoft, right. Google, these kind of folks, about what's possible. We do want to be careful, though. We don't want to. We don't want to get into a situation where we're violating people's privacy. We want to. We want that to all be under the control of patients. That if you want to do something, we don't want to be in the way, but we don't want to accidentally force anybody who doesn't want to do something into a position where their data is somewhere we don't want it to be. Right. Uh, what are you? What are you excited about? What's some of the most promising technic, uh, technological advances that are coming out of medicine right now that you? I don't know how you know involved you can get in that conversation if you have trade secrets or whatever. I'm not sure, but uh, are, there, are there some things that you just can't wait to get your hands on? I think the the biggest are all in the area of artificial intelligence. Okay, which, which is a big category. Yeah, right? I think the ones that are really hyped right now are those that are called generative AI. So. Um, machines that are trained on large volumes of language data, primarily written word, that that kind of thing, that can produce text or in some cases music or graphics based on a prompt. So I can say that I'd like to see uh, Patrick Woodard in a a recording studio and uh, give it a couple images and then it'll put that together. Those are really hyped right now. I think there's a good reason for that and I think there is a lot of promise and we can maybe talk on that if you'd like Mm -hmm. in a minute. I think the reality is that artificial intelligence has been around for decades in healthcare, although you may not have thought about it as such. The EKG machine or the electrocardiogram, the thing that gives you the little squiggly lines when you get uh, uh, the little pads yes. on your chest, 
that has been been being read by machines for decades since literally the 1970s and it isn't 100% accurate and i think that goes to exactly how we need to be thinking about the rest of artificial intelligence in healthcare today doctors for years have seen like the little read from the ekg machine that says consider STEMI, which is a type of heart attack, mm-hmm. or second-degree AV block, which is a type of heart block, so a delay in the way that we process the heart signal. And sometimes that's right, and sometimes it's way not right. Mm-hmm. Um, but the doctor has always looked at the EKG and made the own, their own determination. And the way that we apply artificial intelligence in the future or in other applications will need to be a lot the same, that the machine is there to assist with the diagnosis, but never to make the diagnosis itself. And I think that's a, a really interesting way to think about the relationship that we as humans have with the machines that are coming into any field, really, but medicine in particular, just in terms of it is an augmentation device, but not a replacement. And I think that's really important to point out here. Um, with all of these wonderful advancements that are making our lives so much better in the area of medicine. Um, We talked a little bit before we started about people being uh, afraid of the technology in some instances and worried that, oh, if I go in for, let's say, a knee replacement, they're going to put me on a bed, a robot's going to go over the top, and then everybody's going to leave the room, right? And and there's not even going to be a doctor in there to to, 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 to just make sure everything's running correctly. But that's not the case at all. I think, first and foremost, um, it's the relationship between you, the doctor, and the patient, and the machine is just another tool that doctors have used for millennia, correct? But Absolutely. It, now it's yeah. just unbelievably smart. <laughs> it, is, it is unbelievably smart. Yeah. I think, you know, for the last couple of years, they've been selling stethoscopes that have audio listening devices in them that can tell you if you're hearing a heart murmur and that kind of thing. Oh, you're kidding. That's Which, great. Which, as an assistive device, is incredibly helpful if you're a physician with hearing impairment or something like that. Imagine, like, I went to school um, with a guy who had a hearing hearing impairment or hearing aids, and that was a, a struggle for him, frankly, because he had to have a very expensive electrical stethoscope that dramatically uh, increased the acoustics of the heart sounds or the lung sounds, which it worked, and it he was a fantastic phys- physician, uh, and still is. But imagine now being able to have an idea of what you're listening to in advance if you already have a hearing impairment. And just thinking about the applicability to that, if you're thinking, well, maybe my doctor doesn't have to be right in front of me. Maybe I want to see somebody who is here, or maybe I'm on vacation in Florida, but I want to see my regular doctor. Can they still listen to my heart and lungs? You know, those types of applications start to become unlocked when you think about that type of tool that, you know, five years ago didn't exist, uh, but now is something that we can potentially use to augment the relationships that we have with existing physicians, existing clinicians, and really unlocks a new era of connection. Well, and I think it's only going to make people, um, hopefully, trust these doctors more as well because of the accessibility for it. Um, I mean, how do the doctors feel about this, though, too? Uh, You know, I I don't know if I'd want to get a a message from somebody at 1130 at night or something like that, you know, but obviously there'll be parameters put into place for things like that, correct? Um, So are the doctors as excited about this, these tools as well, even though it seems initially they they might be there might be a little more work in place for them. I think it, I, doctors are humans too, mm-hmm. so I think there's mm-hmm. the whole spectrum of I'm really excited about it. I can't wait to get my hands on it. To 
never <laughs> over my dead body will I be using will I be using a tool like this. And neither of those is wrong. I right. think they're both a very reasonable way to react to it. I think the most common reaction is with a little bit of cautious optimism, trying to understand how does this fit into my day. Uh, I think people, physicians in particular, other clinicians, come to work to take good care of patients. And as part of that, they want to make sure that the tools that they have are tools that help them do their job that don't distract from the good work that they want mm-hmm. to come to work to do. So to that end, there are a lot of folks who are really excited but want to make sure that it makes sense and isn't just another box to check. I think there's a really interesting uh, article from uh, probably about 10 years ago now in the Journal of American Medical Association where a pediatrician, it was, an, it was like an op-ed, a pediatrician had received a letter from a patient and it was a drawing of the patient and their family in the exam room. And there was a there was a little kid on the exam table, and there was a kid sitting in the corner with the mom, and the doctor was sitting facing away from them at a computer. And the whole point of the article was about how that had been a very touching letter to receive from the young patient because Number one, they recognize, you know, kids loved their doctors and want to right. send them something nice. But the thing that really stressed the doctor out was that they were depicted in this seven-year-old, I think it was a seven-year-old, drawing, facing away from them, interacting more <laughs> right. with the computer. Right. That's not what we go to the doctor for. We go to the doctor to have a conversation to make sure that we're healthy or see how we can get healthy. And when we're putting new technology in that detracts from that, that's the wrong way to approach it. So we need to be cautious about how we do that. We need to be thoughtful about if we're putting in something new, it shouldn't detract from our ability to be human together, and it should just be there to help enhance our ability to communicate, to make better diagnoses, to to produce higher quality health care, and to do it in a way that makes sense for people. I think that's a, that's a great place to leave off uh, for this podcast, Doctor. I'd like to hopefully have you on again here and get into some more specifics uh, about some of the technology that we have at Monument Health and that you're a part of, and kind of, because uh, this is all, it, it's all just fascinating. And, and for me personally, it makes my fear, well, not fear, I don't want to say that, you know, uh, but but just my apprehension about sometimes going to see a doctor. I love the fact that a lot of this stuff is there because I like to open the app. I like to see my blood work right away. Absolutely, you know, I like yeah. to, to, to really kind of dig into that stuff. And I want to talk to you more uh, about some of the specific things that's happening at Monument Health, too. So, uh, Dr. Patrick Woodard, Chief Health Care Information Officer at Monument Health, thanks for talking with me. Then. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Doc Talk with Monument Health is recorded live at Home Slice Studios, hosted by Mark Houston, edited by Russ Hatton, engineered by Chris Jaquis, and produced by Kelsey Kinney and Rob Henry.